Darwinian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Dr. Doom wears body armor to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Yeah. Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Magnus Punches Reality, presented, as always, by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and basically what's going on is, depending on when I decide to release this episode, I am about to embark, have embarked upon, or else am winding up a 13-part mega-series that I've cleverly titled Batman v Superman. And really, the, the purpose for this mega-series, it, it should be self-explanatory. But in case it's not, uh, basically the idea is just kind of a little bit of hype and anticipation in advance of the theatrical release of Batman v Superman, the Batman and Superman team-up movie I've been dreaming about ever since I was a child, and now it is here. And... Throughout the majority of the episodes that I've recorded for this Batman v Superman series, I sort of found myself a little bit behind the eight ball in that the episodes were recorded, at least those with uh, my co-host, whom I'll be introducing in just a few moments, but the episodes that I recorded with the the co-host for this series were recorded primarily over the summer of 2015, and so... In an odd kind of way, the listeners listening to those shows know more about Batman v Superman than we did at the time that these shows were being recorded. That's the shows that included my co-host. The ones that did not include my co-host, believe it or not, actually, they are old, 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 old. They go back to 2014, and they were originally going to be part of a separate mini-series that I was doing, and then I ended up getting a different idea, so... Basically, there's nothing about this Batman v Superman mega-series that's in any way new, fresh, original, or anything. Except for the show that you're hearing right now. And that is, uh, this is actually being recorded not as soon um, after the release of the second Dawn of Justice trailer as I would have liked, but it's really my fault. Shit happens in life, and I did the best I could with what I had. It simply was not good enough. So, but John and I, uh, we're going to get together and record our thoughts about the second trailer right here, right now, and just see where the conversation goes. And so it is that I introduce, reintroduce, welcome, and welcome back my perennial co-host who never seems to get the hint, Mr. John M. Wilson himself. Welcome back to the show, sir. How are you? Doing all right. Well, when you said uh, that I could have a drawer, I just figured that 
that meant that I was here for the duration. But if there's more going on here (laughs) (laughs) that I understood, I can get my shit and go. It's okay. (laughs) I'm fucking with you. Hey, look, it's really good to have you. And before we get um, too much into discussions about trailers and plot points and characters and all this stuff, I just want to say thank you so freaking much for the amount of time that you've donated really uh, to these uh, to these episodes that that you've been able to uh, participate in, I really wish that circumstances would have permitted us to have you in for all of it. But unfortunately, that's just not the way that things turned out. But you were still able to give a hell of a lot of time, something like twelve hours or more of your time, like all together. And I just want you to know, I really do appreciate that. This series is nowhere near what it would have been without you. So thank you very much. Well, I appreciate the chance to be here and talk Superman and Batman comics because it's been fun and and really the. The hype train has been building regardless, but with us getting together regularly to talk about the comics, it's been like in my soul, just the anticipation for this film. So um, today we have a brand spanking new trailer to talk about. And and I have to tell you, I, I, I don't want to spoil here, but I am excited about this trailer. I am too. And, you know, the trailer actually starts on a really kind of subdued note when you think about it, because often, you know, I would have thought the idea for most movie trailers is to kind of kind of flash in your face early on, get your attention, and then it, it kind of settles back into a little bit of a more mellow type of mood. And then it screams back to life at the very end. And that's not exactly the way that this trailer rolls. Basically, without getting too far ahead of ourselves, I think it would be fair to say that this trailer starts on a fairly subdued note and then it builds and it builds and it builds and it's always getting bigger and bigger and when you think it's gotten as big as it's going to be something else huge comes along and this is a just I, I guess from the from the standpoint of what a movie trailer traditionally is supposed to do at least in my observation this trailer actually breaks quite a few of the rules so um anyway but basically as i say it starts off on a kind of mellow note with what looks to be a party of some description. Yeah, we should probably clarify, because I think since we started recording for this series, mm-hmm. there's been another trailer earlier on. So because I think in one of our conversations in this series, we talk about a trailer being exciting. The trailer we're talking about is the one that hit in early December. Mm-hmm. So if, if if you listener are listening to this and other trailers have come out since then, we're talking about the one that hit in early December that opens up with The Party, where ba- uh, Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent meet. And, and yeah, it's just kind of um, sort of a paparazzi type of scene. Bruce Wayne rolls up in some shiny, expensive car, and Clark Kent, brand new reporter, is not quite sure who this guy is. He never saw the Daredevil movie, so. No, so. But yeah, this is, when you think about it, I mean, my... I guess my sense of Bruce Wayne and the DC universe has always been that he he's about as famous in the DC universe as JFK Jr. was in ours. And JFK Jr., he was kind of a, a heartthrob for adults, and he was kind of famous for having a tragic history, but he wasn't necessarily day-to-day news, you know, uh, not like, say, the Kardashians, you know. Uh, he He was in the news when he was in the news, but otherwise fucking he wasn't in the news and i i've always kind of assumed that bruce lane bruce wayne had a very similar type of reputation and i would say visibility does that 
seem accurate to you? Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I do wonder. It seems like his face should have been in the media a bit by now. He's at the same time, at the same time, unless a rich guy in the United States is also a movie star or also the head of a tech company. I'm not sure that I necessarily know who all the or, – or, or, or a senator or some other government person. Mm-hmm. If there are just private life rich people out there sitting around there being rich and, you know, fucking women, yep. <laughs> because that's kind of the reputation that Bruce Wayne has, I don't know that I would necessarily know who they are. Hmm. Okay. Well, fair enough. Um, that was basically my going to be my sort of backdoor explanation for why Clark Kent, who's done all – I think we can gather has done all of this research about goings on in Gotham city wouldn't necessarily recognize Bruce Wayne on site. He may recognize the name, not necessarily the face. And the reason I'm being a little bit of a pain in the balls about this, and you guys need to get kind of get used to hearing that there's been a fair amount of controversy, which I don't want to deal with all at once. I figured we could, since the controversy has been piecemeal, I figure we could deal with it piecemeal. But one of the things that I've seen people kind of bitch and complain about, at least on Facebook, is that Clark Kent, investigative reporter, doesn't instantaneously recognize Bruce Wayne, the famous billionaire playboy waste of space that we are assuming that this character is going to be kind of modeled on, you know? And number one, that kind of reeks to me of people inventing shit to, to complain about, but I guess over and above that, what it tells me is it's 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 almost like these people are – I don't know if it's projecting their own desires and expectations onto what they think this material is. But it – there's nothing about this trailer that says that this is going to – that this is going to be the famous party boy type of Bruce Wayne. Maybe he is, but maybe not. And I, I kind of feel like people have – basically gone a little too hard on something, you know, based on less than three minutes of footage. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts? Yeah. And, and some of that I think is a, a little bit of, um, dishonesty with the source material because we've seen Clark Kent have a first meeting with Bruce Wayne several times. And for the life of me, I can't think of a single time where he walked up and said, Hey, you're Bruce Wayne. Right. They've always been introduced. Yes. Or introduce themselves to each other. So, I mean, I can understand the reasoning and the logic, but A, I disagree with it. And C, it doesn't it doesn't bear out with the source material. Yeah. I was just trying I was just off the top of my head, I was gonna try to look up the the first meeting of Bruce and Superman, uh, Bruce and Clark on that boat back in the fifties mm-hmm. to see if they knew each other, but I d I don't I don't have that comic handy. Oh, I'll put it to the listener. Name a rich person who's not also a celebrity. And 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 show me that face. I mean, I can't think of any of those names. I'm sure if I heard them, I would recognize them. But even some of the rich people who who are like Alan Greenspan, I couldn't point to his face in a lineup. You know? Or oh, give me a random senator or congressman who's not one of my own or not one of the louder speakers. They're all rich. I'm not sure that I could point to their faces in the lineup. Right. I've seen people – and again, I'm not going to get partisan here. I'm just going to say that these names do get thrown around an awful lot. How many people who also listen to this podcast 
would be able to pick one of the Koch brothers out of a police lineup, you know? I mean, right. I'm sure they know the name, but would they know the face? Maybe, but maybe not, you know? So I mean, I could pick Bill Gates out, but I couldn't tell you which guy was Jobs and which guy was Wozniak. Oh, I could. I mean, I, I, well, you could. I couldn't. Some people could. Some people couldn't, which right. is, I guess, our point that Clark may or may not be able to recognize Bruce Wayne on site. The world's finest animated film was fine, and this also is fine. Right. And speaking of their introduction, there is the matter of their introduction where they end up getting, I would say, pretty crosswise with one another, re <laughs> pretty the Batman. Quickly. <laughs> and one of the things that I kind of like about it is this entire movie is premised upon the conflict between really between uh, primarily on Batman's side, but between Batman and Superman. But it plays for me that even Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne don't necessarily see. In fact, I say don't necessarily see, they don't see eye to eye. And, um, there's, I don't know why, but as much as I kind of miss that sort of bronze age, deep abiding friendship that Batman and Superman used to have. And apparently it's no longer fashionable for them to have. I do like the idea of, uh, of them, you know, if, if you're going to have uh, a sort of a difference in worldview and one might say morality between Superman and Batman, I say, play it out, you know, um, go all the way with it. And just based on the fact that even Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne and their civilian identities, not knowing each other's alter egos, they're crosswise with each other too. Works for me. Yeah. And I like how Bruce Wayne has major issues with Superman. And he goes about expressing those as Batman. Reverse wise, in a previous trailer, we've heard Perry White talk about Clark Kent taking on the Batman. So Clark Kent, as a reporter, is taking on a crusade against Batman, which then he then plays out as Superman. So it's like they have personal issues with the superheroes motives and operations. Mm -hmm. And they express those issues both as their civilian and costumed identities. But it's like, it, this is not just superhero versus superhero. This is a character driven conflict that we're seeing played out. And so it's not just the, 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 the things that make sense about Superman is the, the force for good and, and, and light and day. And Batman is, is dark and the nighttime and those two should clash. There's more to it than that. There's like personal issues that each has with the other. And I like that, you know, I mean, this feels, see, there have been very few times when I think the whole, tense relationship with Superman and Batman has been done really well, you know, and if you want to see it done poorly, basically you can read anything done by Jeff Loeb, right? Done well, there was the Dark Knight Returns where Batman and Superman came down on very fucking different sides of a major conflict. And basically Superman, oddly enough, was the pragmatic one and said, look, if I go to work for the government and you guys go into hiding... This whole shit's going to blow over, and this isn't an ideal situation, but this is a sacrifice that I'm prepared to make in order to protect my superhero fraternity. Batman was the more principled one who basically says, you sold out, you know, and Batman can't see that, you know, there was a choice between 
selling out and getting nuked off the face of the fucking map. And Superman, for his part, can't see that, you know what, there may have been a uh, an ideal that he was betraying. And both of them are just kind of talking past one another. The other example where I can think of where it's done really well was in Burns Man of Steel, where it was really down to to methodologies and worldviews. I mean, their conflicts were based on ignorance of one another. And you you could, I think, read that comic and then reasonably assume that they're eventually going to be able to have some kind of actual friendship with one another. And obviously that ended up never fucking happening, but you could at least argue that it, that it could that it could happen after that issue. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. And it's really those two stories which came out really close together. Um, the Dark Knight was slightly before Man of Steel. And I don't know if it was enough before to influence John Byrne or if John Byrne had his own ideas and was writing them when, when Miller was mapping out The Dark Knight. I don't know which came first. But it's really those two issues that put – and end to the idea that Batman and Superman would automatically be fast friends because they're super friends. La la la. Um, that's not necessarily the case. And now here we are 30 years later and we're seeing this relationship. Now I, <laughs> I have to tell a story. My son is Keenan. He's six years old. He'll be almost seven, practically seven by the time this film comes out. He does not want to see it. Oh. He does not want to see it because he does not like the idea of Superman and Batman fighting. Oh, and he does not want to see Captain America Civil War because he does not want to see Captain America and Iron Man fighting. Um, they're allowed to have an occasional scuffle in a comic book or in a cartoon, but he does not want to go to see a big movie that's all about that. So you, hmm. there, there, is a, there is a very real anecdotal support to the idea that the Super Friends notion plays to a younger reading audience. And the conflicted relationship that works in an alliance plays to an older readership. Hmm. You know, as obvious as that demographic research might have been to most people, I can say hand on heart, it never would have occurred to me. But that is a very good point, actually. The Now, as the, I guess, their conversation is unfolding what we see are these sort of glimpses of not so much Batman, but more Batman 10 minutes later, you know, 10 minutes after he's left the scene, he's basically kicked the, the uh, snot out of uh, some would be thug thief, carjacker, bank robber, fucking whatever. And it's basically meant to underscore Clark's comments. You know, this guy is, is violating civil rights. Yeah. he, He's a menace, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we're actually seeing a little bit of the aftermath of Batman and some of the methods of Batman without yet seeing Batman. And one of the things that you, that I at least kind of got the, the flavor of when I was watching this, maybe for the second or the third time, this trailer, was this notion that that sort of handheld kind of gritty approach that that Zack Snyder used for Man of Steel, I get the idea that's being somewhat jettisoned in Batman v Superman. And this is going to be a little bit more of a stereotypical Zack Snyder type of film based on these visuals. What do you think? Um, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, we're seeing 
we're seeing snippets, we're seeing tidbits. I think that the first time that they meet, it's going to be after we've already seen the pot kind of boiling in the persons of Clark and Bruce. I think we're going to see Clark, we're going to see Bruce, we're going to see their issues with the superhero, the other superheroes, and the first time they meet, it's going to be it's going to be a fight. In fact, I'm wondering if the first time we see them meet, it's going to be Batman putting that light in the sky and Superman coming down. Hmm. Yeah, that's quite probable. I mean, I, I well, I'll, I'll spare rumors because I just want to stick to what's in this trailer. Right. But yeah. I mean, I've sort of wondered about that myself, actually. Um, so we see, I guess, Clark's viewpoint of Batman in that little montage there. And then from, you know, after that, we get a rejoinder from Bruce where we get sort of Bruce's views on Superman. And it's a montage of Superman doing this, doing that. But, you know, one of the things that becomes very apparent is that there may be some controversy surrounding Superman in Dawn of Justice, or at least at the beginning of Dawn of Justice. He may have some detractors out there. But the sensation of this of this footage is Superman is widely regarded as a hero. You know, he's not mm-hmm. an outsider. He's not thought of as a vigilante. He's thought of as basically more or less what Jarrell sent him to earth to become in the first place. He's on his way to accomplishing all of that. And one of the reasons that I'm kind of happy about that is I'm of the opinion that Superman needs to be almost universally acclaimed pretty much the instant he shows up. This idea of mankind mistrusting Superman, at least until he proves himself, that's a concept I've never been all that fond of. But that seems to be the trajectory of the Superman mythos these days. And I guess we're just stuck with it. I think it's natural for the military. And I think it's natural that whenever he does a defeat and there's a crowd of public around him, you're going to have mixed reactions. Because I think if we look at the Internet, we see that happens all the time. Oh, yeah. Um, now, I understand the desire to want to sort of idealize that for comics. I get that. It's just not an opinion I share. But what I really like now, from the moment that San Diego Comic Con played the reading of the Dark Knight dialogue and showed the Bat logo behind the Superman logo, mm-hmm. from that moment, I have been of the opinion and taking the stance against all odds, some might say, or against all face of reality, that this is not a Batman movie, that this is a Superman movie that has Batman in it. And I think we're seeing that playing out here because Superman, Clark Kent is reacting to a vigilante. Mm-hmm. He's reporting on a vigilante. He's having issues with Batman's methods. We see that in the trailer. Bruce Wayne is having a very emotionally driven reaction to what he sees as an alien who has brought a war to his planet that has taken a toll on Bruce's life. And so Batman is coming into Superman's world as the antagonist in Superman's story. And I like that that 
that we're getting a Superman movie, I guess is what I'm trying to say here. I see I, I and that's how I'm reading the trailer. And maybe I'm maybe I'm biased because of the reasons I've already stated, but whenever I'm looking at this trailer, I'm looking at the little montage that we're discussing with with Superman catching the rocket and then floating in the sky above the flood. Um Bruce is describing that as alien and 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 something to watch out for. And I'm seeing it as well. Superman's doing his thing and Bruce has issues. Agreed. And I'll be honest, I mean, it that's kind of contrary to the perception, at least at first, that a lot of people had regarding this film. And there's a weird group think that happens on the Internet. I, I don't understand it. But to kind of go back in time about 20 or so years, I remember a time when Batman Forever was a very well-regarded film, you know, among most people. <laughs> and... You know, I mean, there were people out there who maybe didn't enjoy it, but, you know, for the most part, I mean, the the movie going public embraced it. And I still like a lot of Batman Forever. I think it goes it goes over the top a few places. It gets a little bit much in a few places, but as, as a whole, I like it. Uh, I remember listening to your Batman and Robin episode mm-hmm. and my, Batman and Robin takes a lot of what I didn't like about Batman Forever and, and amps, amps it up. those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so while I appreciated you pulling out a lot of the good elements of Batman and Robin, um, I think it just still suffers from a lot of a lot of things. But Batman Forever, I think, is a great halfway point. It's it's a midway point between what um, what's his brains was doing in the first two. Mm-hmm. Was it Tim Burton? Yeah. It's a midpoint between what Tim Burton was doing in the first two and what we got in the fourth. Correct. And I, guys, I lived through that time. I was there. I remember how things really went. And the general consensus opinion seemed to be something along the lines of, well, nothing is going to be as good as the original Tim Burton film. That having been said... Batman Forever is a decent little movie, you know, and fan opinion on that has twisted and changed and morphed so much since the what, what I would say is like the onset of the Internet that the the consensus and this, by the way, is before it, it was this was the case even before Chris Nolan came along was that Batman Forever is just no friggin good. And that is not what people were saying in the mid to late 90s. And I would say even maybe at the scant beginnings of the early 2000s, that's just not what most people thought. But there's this weird groupthink that takes over. And where I'm going with this is to say that that same groupthink says that Man of Steel was a box office failure. And so... Batman was brought into a Superman sequel because Batman is the more marketable commodity. And this is the only way that Warner Brothers could establish a, a, a cinematic DC universe. And number one, that's a complete reinvention of history. I mean, Man of Steel, especially considering all the competition it was up against, Man of Steel was a huge success. And number two, I mean, I seem to be the only one in the room who remembers that Warner Brothers has wanted to make some kind of a Batman-Superman team-up movie. You could argue since 1995. Yeah. Certainly since 2000. And I ended up getting into a little, not an argument, but I ended up having a discussion about this with, of all people, Jamal Igle on Facebook. (laughs) 
Yeah. About a week ago. And he was very much towing the the typical fanboy kind of thinking on this, you know, that there was basically this whole thing is is a marketing gimmick and intended to to prop up Superman and introduce a shared live action DC universe. And the reason for this is because Man of Steel was a box office failure. And there's nothing about that that even halfway resembles real life. But like I say, this weird fucked up group think takes over. And anyway, so basically what I'm saying is most fans, and I'm not even sure how accurate it is to call some of them fans, but most fans view this as, yet again, Superman is taking a hit so that Batman can be made to look awesome. Now, while I, as a Superman fan, would have loved to see a second solo Superman film without any heroes, I mean, I would have loved to see that. Um, That's not what we're getting. But let's talk about, for a second, I want to talk about the title of the film that we are getting. Please do. Okay. This is the sequel to Man of Steel. By definition, this film follows Man of Steel with its characters. It is therefore a sequel to Man of Steel. I never, once we got the title of this, actually, let me say that sentence again. I never for a second expected another separate Man of Steel 2 until those rumors started going on the internet that it was going to happen. And then Warner Brothers came out and said, no, that's not going to happen. So to me, this is Man of Steel 2. It's Superman. And what kind of Superman movie is it? It's a Superman movie where he encounters Batman. It's the sequel to the first film where Bruce Wayne is reacting to the events of those films, that film, and comes into Superman's life. And as a subtitle with a semi with, with, with a colon after, we are getting a dawn of justice. So it's a Superman film that brings Batman into play and sets up the Justice League, which I think is genius. You bring you use Superman as your cornerstone. You bring in the second of the big two, and then you set up the Justice League with Wonder Woman as the foremost of the the rest of the seven. I think that's great. But still, to me, this is, at its core, a Superman film. Agreed. And I'm not trying to blow my own horn here, but this is actually the very strategy that I recommended that um, that Warner Brothers follow. Because invariably, somebody's going to accuse them of copycatting whatever Marvel's going to do. That's It's just inevitable. And so what I thought would be a smarter thing to do would was – and you can find on my Facebook where I wrote about this. I mean, guys, I'm not rewriting my own history. You can see for yourself if you're so inclined. Uh, you do a, a, a Superman movie that introduces Superman and basically sets that as your foundation. As your sequel to that, you do a Superman and Batman team-up. As a sequel to that – and this obviously is not going to happen, so this is where my little theory kind of falls apart – you do a Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman team-up movie, and then as your fourth one, then you do Justice League. And every step of the way, you're introducing major new elements that are going to inform whatever happens in the future. And they're not quite sticking to that, but they're not entirely breaking away from it either. And that approach, I'm convinced, is going to help them, number one, in the marketplace of ideas, which as much as box office, that's where they're competing with Marvel. And... Number two, it, it it basically allows them to, I guess, 
at a little bit more of a slow burn, introduce their their universe on their terms. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is going to be important, ultimately. And really, your idea for a third film is their third act of this film. So it seems, yes. And Wonder Woman's going to get a solo. Uh, and, and honestly, I was talking to this with talking about this with a student um, at school this week. I think using Wonder Woman in this film is a good way to get people in seats for her solo film. Yeah, it's free market research for for Warner Brothers as well. They don't have to spend like what would you say, like 150 or 200 million dollars on a Wonder Woman film and the risks that that entails just to find out, hey, the the movie going public truly is interested in this. They'll I mean if if it turns out that people are not interested in the Wonder Woman aspect so much, well they can just cancel the Wonder Woman film, no no harm no foul and they haven't really risked anything. And, and the, Marvel thought about doing the same thing with Captain Marvel, putting her in Avengers 2 to, oh, oh. to help people get in seats for the Captain Marvel film. That would have they been chose awesome. not to do that. And I don't think either choice is better than the other. It's just they're doing their thing. Warner Bros. is doing their thing. We're going to see how both play out. But um, but yeah, because it shouldn't be this way. The world should not be this way. And I hate that it is this way. But the fucking truth of the matter is solo superheroine films have not done as well. I don't think it's I don't think it has anything to do with the boobs and the vagina that are on the leading parts. I think it has to do with a lot of really bad scripts that have been done. But because we have a lot of bad history with solo superheroine films, mm-hmm. getting a little bit of extra extra insurance that you might get some people in the seats for the films, I don't I don't I don't fault them for that. I don't either. And that's one of the reasons why I refuse to call that Sexism, because if you just look at the numbers, which is really all the marketing department has to go on, this is not a winning proposition. So I personally think that it I, – I see, because there's a limit to how much I really want to appeal to the Supergirl show because I'm not sure – I'm not sure that that, that, that TV show's relative, relatively low numbers are necessarily that show's fault because they only fell after a certain point. And if you look at what else was on TV at the time – it's pretty easy to figure out where the fucking viewers went. But to me, it does indicate, number one, there is a public appetite now, not just for superheroes as an abstract concept. We settled that back in 2005, I guess. But more that, no, there's a place here for women, too. And I think ultimately what Warner Brothers is going to find is that, yeah, we can do a, a Wonder Woman film, and it is going to be awesome. And... Marvel is going to realize, you know what, we can do a Black a Black Widow movie or a Captain Marvel movie, and those will be awesome. And it's all going to come out in the wash, I think. But I totally understand their their, their trepidation based on strictly dollars and cents. But uh, I guess to get back into the trailer, though, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we have this, uh, like I say, this little conversation between um, Bruce Wayne and Batman. Sorry. Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent about Batman and then about Superman. And right about the time they're giving each other the evil eye, Lex Luthor interrupts. And this has been a source of no small amount of consternation for a lot of people in that you have Lex Luthor who's acting, I would say, a little bit silly. And this apparently is a problem for some people. Now, John, I've been sitting here running my mouth nonstop for quite a while. So how about I let 
I, I give you the podium here and, and, you know, whatever you have to say about that, feel free. Okay. I think there are two things that need to be said about Lex Luthor coming in here. Um, one is the way the trailer is cut. The way the trailer is cut, you have a mounting tension in a difficult situation. And it looks like Clark and Bruce aren't about to come to blows, but there's there's definitely some mounting tension. And the music is playing into that. And then the music cuts and Lex walks in and he's being silly. And but but you know what he's being? He's being friendly. He is an evil criminal mastermind at a shindig being friendly and it's a little bit for laughs and i think that the way the trailer is cut you needed that moment it's a good moment whether you need it or not it breaks the tension secondly i think people are jumping to the conclusion that this a little bit silly and a little bit awkwardly extroverted lex luther is the way lex luther is going to be and it seems that people forget that there are two other scenes of Lex Luthor in here, A, facing off a senator, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and B, wanting to kill the Superman with uh, a freakish created monster. And as he and does also, so, he compares himself to Satan. Let's not forget. Go ahead. Yeah. And also the scenes we've had of Lex Luthor being rather sinister in other films. Now, you might not like the actor's voice, but – but the 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 idea that Lex Luthor is going to be a silly, foppish um, comedy source for this film, I think, is really, really short sighted. Agreed. Um, he has he has he has a funny bit, <laughs> and he has a funny bit in a trailer for a film that everyone is saying doesn't have enough funny bits. Yeah, and that was actually going to be where I took it. Yes. <laughs> so. I don't know what you can do, but obviously winning is not an option here. Clearly. Well, and the way I look at it is this. Basically, what we're supposed to believe is that this is a this isn't just the the tycoon Lex that John Byrne introduced. This is even more modern than that. This is a the young upstart tech billionaire. You know, the guy's a billionaire before he's 35. Basically. If you wanted to read this as a little bit of a riff on Mark Zuckerberg, like that model, I don't think you're off point too much, you know? And the fact is, in that world, and especially at a, at a kind of schmoozy type of party like this, you know, you, if you sit around brooding in a corner and acting like a supervillain, people are not going to be all that happy with you. You know, you got to get out there. You got to shake hands. You got to schmooze people. And let's not forget the fact that I think it's a pretty consistent characterization for Lex that he's the, I forget how you pronounce it, the megalomaniac. Mm -hmm. And in his mind, these people are bugs. They are insects. They are so fucking far beneath him. There's a part of him that resents even having to be here. But this is the way that the game is played, and he's playing it extremely well. And if you wanted to, I mean, what I at least you know, took from this little bit that he does is this is him condescending to his lessers. And mm-hmm. this is what the little people respond to, so this is how I am going to behave around them. But the minute he gets yeah, behind – tr- yeah. 
Sorry, sorry, I was just saying, yeah, he is behaving to other people the way he thinks they want him to behave. He's he's being extroverted, and he's not really that good at it. Right. Now, he does have uh, one little zinger uh, for the audience. you know. And, and I don't mean – I love bringing people together. It is kind of weird that, yes, literally he has done that. But then Clark shakes his hand. And Lex kind of overplays it. Ow! Hey, well, I wouldn't pick a fight with this guy, Bruce, huh? Would you? Would you pick a fight with this guy, Bruce? Would you? And it's kind of a... It, it's not overdone, but if you catch it, you catch it. I didn't catch it the first time, but the second time I did, and I smiled. And, and look, here's the thing. I mean, people are saying, simultaneously, like you were saying, simultaneously and with a straight face... This trailer is too dark and Lex is too silly. And really all Superman and Batman do, or sorry, all Clark and Bruce have done in the in the trailer up to this point is glare at each other. But ooh, that's dark. You know, but this comes the, the release of this trailer comes on the heels of a of a different trailer where Captain America and the Winter Soldier take turns beating the piss out of Iron Man, and hey, that's just a fun comic book movie. I'm just like, motherfucker, which is it? You know, you can't yeah. have it both ways. But I don't know. Look, wh- wh- the I've kind of, I'm I'm kind of beyond the point now of expecting objectivity from the supposed fans. But um, that doesn't mean I'm done pointing out the hypocrisy whenever I see it. And believe me, there's plenty more hypocrisy still to come. Now, I kind of cut you off here. Do you have anything more on this section of the trailer? When I was thinking about, um, oh shit, I lost it. Hold on. Um, Lex Luthor. Yeah. How much of Grant Morrison's action comics run did you read? Um, I would say the first, what is it? Like maybe four or five issues of that Brainiac, like basically the Brainiac storyline, but then that was about it. Okay. So you met Lex Luthor in that. Correct. Okay. Um, the era of that story could be compared to the setting for this film. Hmm. It's early in their relationships. The heroes are just meeting. Okay. The Lex Luthor of Grant Morrison's action comics is not the same as the Lex Luthor of five years later. History has happened. The man has changed. All right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I think there's something to be said that this Lex Luthor is not is is young compared to the Lex Luthor that we sort of think of when we think of Lex Luthor. I can certainly see um, this man grow into the 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 sort of character that we we usually associate with Lex Luthor, a more reserved and yet still very full of himself, narcissistic alien hater that Lex Luthor is. Um, but I want to say this about Grant Morrison's action comics. Mm-hmm. Even though that interpretation is different to this, mm-hmm. the 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 things that Grant Morrison was going for, I think could be applied to this. Because he says he wanted to play a Lex Luthor that is kind of the guy at work that no one really likes because he's kind of full of himself. Mm-hmm. And he he's sort of the um the good at his job, but no one likes working with him. Energy drink kind of schmooze lose. I don't know, but that that's sort of nasty guy at work. Right. Um, 
And I can see that sort of underlying idea also existing for this guy. And one of the things that makes me say that is, A, the fact that he's trying to socialize and isn't that good at it. But also, whenever he shakes hands with Bruce, Bruce rolls his eyes. Mm-hmm. It's like, Lex, yes, hi, how you doing? Um, I don't think that Bruce Wayne and Lex Luthor like each other very much in this. And yet they they should play in the same echelon. And maybe Bruce Wayne already knows Lex Luthor from, from previous, you know, experience because they're both that, that rich guy in the city um, level of, of, of society. So um, it just kind of struck me as interesting that the idea that Grant Morrison was going for, I see it similarly being played out here, just, the ultimate way that Grant Morrison wrote Lex in his story is different than this. Agreed. Two, two, two versions of the same idea is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. I'll ride with it. Sure. <clears throat> and, oh, one other thing about Lex, somebody, uh, somebody saw fit to call out, not me specifically, but I guess the anti Gene Hackman contingent on fate on uh, Facebook basically saying, well, you know, you guys don't like that sort of silly Lex that Gene Hackman played, and yet you're willing to ride with this silly Eisenberg Lex. So which is it? Do you like silly Lex or do you not like silly Lex? Because it looks like you appreciate one and hate the other. And my answer to that is, dude, context is everything. Now, I've never actually done an episode about Superman the movie, primarily because I don't want my listeners to come looking for me with torches and pitchforks. But (laughs) one of the things that I just fucking hate about Superman the movie is the portrayal of Lex and just how silly he is. And the reason I'm cutting Eisenberg some slack on this is that in Superman the movie, Lex Luthor was a known quantity. You know, everybody had seen his true colors. And so it really made no logistical sense for Lex to act just that goofy because of the fact that, you know, dude, you're not fooling anybody. Everybody knows who you are. There was a manhunt underway for Lex Luthor that we saw part of whenever uh, Lex, or, or sorry, whenever Clark first came to Metropolis. And then, of course, the the detective gets the police detective. He gets pushed off of that safety ledge in the in the subway. He gets run over. And but there was a full scale fucking manhunt going on for the guy. And here he is, I guess, trying to act less threatening than he is, even though he's wanted for crimes unknown. But I'm guessing quite serious if there's a manhunt going. And here we've got Alex, who is. He he does have something to hide. And in, in, in a weird kind of way, you could even say that Lex has a secret identity of his own, you know, or at least an alter ego. There's the public, silly, for lack of a better word, over-the-top uh, corporate schmoozer. And then there's the guy behind closed doors who makes all of these secret deals and is not above elite, uh, illegal uh, genetic engineering projects and whatnot. I mean, he's presenting two very different faces depending upon the context. And to me, Lex is a chameleon. He's whatever he has to be to get to get through whatever moment he's in. He'll say what he needs to say. He'll be what he needs to be. 
And if that means showing his true face, then yes, he'll do that. But if it means putting on a mask, so to speak, then he'll do that too. It just depends. And some people would say, well, that's kind of two-faced. No, that's good characterization, people. And I don't know. I mean, it's just there's a world of difference in context, which to me is what counts the most. World of difference in the context of Eisenberg playing Lex Luthor versus Hackman playing Lex Luthor. So... And really, they're very different characters. I like your use of the word secret identity because Byrne gave us Alex Luthor who has a secret identity. And Gene Hackman was playing – Gene Hackman was playing a comic book supervillain. Yes. And I don't really have any problems with that. It's just the character that he was playing. He was playing for an audience who had grown up in the 60s and 70s with DC Comics from the 60s and 70s. And that was a very different way that DC was telling stories at that time. Mm-hmm. I think the Superman that we get in Superman the movie and Superman 2 is <clears throat> for people who were reading comics, Superman comics, for the 60s and 70s. It's a bit different now. And DC has been telling different kinds of stories. I think readers and viewers want a different kind of story than we had back then. I don't really have any issue with the Gene Hackman Lex Luthor, but it is, you know, a product he's getting up to the yeah, he's getting up to the kinds of shenanigans that a comic book Lex Luthor got up to in the Silver and Bronze Age. And let's face it, it's a little bit silly because that's the way he was. Right. So. You know, I, I I like the Gene Hackman like Sleuthor. It's just very different here. And ever since John Burnett changed the idea of Lex Luthor, that character has still been an evolving character. He's still had different versions and different incarnations, mm-hmm. but the secret identity concept has stuck. And even now in the comics, the New 52 comics, um, Lex Luthor is very you know he he's he's never gone back to what he was in the 60s and 70s it's never happened correct <clears throat> and this sort of leads into i guess the next phase of the trailer where we start seeing a little bit of lex's true colors which i think again that kind of underscores what you said a minute ago uh, you know him facing down a united states senator and so again you know we we get a uh, a, a little glimpse of that. But then from there, we get a glimpse uh, a little bit more of, I guess, Bruce's motives for doing what he's doing. You know, that son of a bitch brought the war here. So <clears throat> Alfred tells him, and I love Jeremy Irons, by the way, so I don't need to see the movie to know that Jer- Jeremy Irons is going to kill it as Alfred. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jeremy Irons tells him, you know, you're going to start a war. And Bruce's answer is, there's all we are already at war. He brought it here to us, and I'm the only one in the room who recognizes it. And who seems to be forgetting though that Superman fought on our side. Yeah, well, in that war, that's the thing. It's that, like if it's like if if you know just just to sort of paint a, a parallel picture. There's there's an analogy to be made with with this situation because Superman is fighting for us, but he's not one of us. Well, and. That's the thing. I mean, what this what this does and what it kind of sets into motion 
is the concept that I'm actually really fond of, this concept of Batman <clears throat> as villain. And instead of being this this pure, incorruptible, virtuous hero, at least in this movie, Batman is the villain of the piece. At least to start. And Yeah, he's he's definitely an antagonist. He's 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 the antagonist of the Superman movie. Yeah. And that works for me. I mean, this is a guy who doesn't understand the situation. He doesn't know as much as he thinks he does. <clears throat> and honestly, I think there's a fair amount of – I don't want to get too far into character dynamics since obviously we haven't seen the film yet. But you know, based on what we have seen, I think that there's a strong argument that, that what Bruce is really suffering from here is a very severe case of projection. You know, he sees the paths of escalation that that have uh, that that exist in Gotham, and he's now applying them to Metropolis. Well, this is what happened when I started operating in Gotham City. How much worse is it going to be now that we've got this being here who can level buildings and destroy the planet if he decides he wants to? So there's a there's a paranoia to that, and again, it's not just that. Uh, Batman doesn't understand why Superman is such a Boy Scout. He sees him as a legitimate fucking threat. And it takes a concept from the comics that I've like I I make no secret about that I have no real use for and it makes it workable. And I don't know, maybe what we needed to do was just get Hollywood screenwriters here to 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 map out a decent way to nail down this whole Batman Superman dichotomy and conflict in order to make it a sellable concept. I don't know. But what I do like is that none of this is forced. None of this is being uh, invented out of whole cloth just so we can have a, you know, a slam-bang showdown between Superman and Batman. There are real character issues going on here that lead to this huge conflict. And speaking of the conflict, the little glimpse of it that we get, it's hard to ignore at least the idea that Superman is actually holding back for a lot of this fight. You know, the little glimpse of it that we see, Mm -hmm. he's trying to subdue Batman, but he doesn't want to turn him into jelly. Right. Does that seem accurate? Yeah. I, I I read it that way as well. And (laughs) when my kids find out what my kids, when my students find out that I'm a Superman fan, I always get those who say Batman can take down Superman. Superman's just scared of a little rock. And if, you know, cause Batman has kryptonite, he can take down Superman. And, and I just smile at them because they're young and foolish. Um, if Batman wants to go up against the sun God, he's going to have a hard time doing it. And yeah, it's, it's you know, Nice Luther's narrating the trailer and it's a clash of titans and it's great. But here we have just Superman floating in the air. Mm-hmm. Whereas Batman is coming at him with an attack plane and Superman's shrugging it off. Batman armors up with as much power and defense as he possibly can muster. And Superman says, if I wanted it, you'd be dead already. Will you please stop? He Batman cannot stop this guy. And we've already seen that Kryptonite's going to have some sort of role to play in this film. Whether or not it comes into play during their fight remains to be seen. Um, I think that 
it's 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 unlikely based on what we've seen so far that Kryptonite's going to play a different role in the film, but that really will be the only way Batman wins this fight. It looks like he's not going to win this fight, um, which I'm okay with. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay with that as well because, like I said, Superman is 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 a sun god. He's he's not going to have much trouble putting Batman down, but he's a little bit pacifistic about it. He says, I, you know, he, he wants to stop fighting Batman. So could Batman please stop fighting? Reasonable request. <laughs> <clears throat> we did, we did happen to breeze over my favorite line from the trailer, which is Lex Luthor's line that, um, it's the oldest lie in America that power can be innocent. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I know I'm not a big, you know, government conspiracy person or anything, but, but I, I think it's, it's a pretty, you know, face the facts kind of situation where anyone who's gotten into a place of power probably has some skeletons in the closet. And while I don't think that that's necessarily true of Superman, I still like that line about life. It, it, it's the oldest lie in America that gov- that that power can be innocent. I really like that line. Um, but does the uh, does the fight between Superman and Batman does that take us into the whole um, Zod revelation? Well, there's a little bit of a pit stop first. Um, between that stuff, there's a just a blink and you miss it little moment between Lois and Lex. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where she calls him a psychopath and. He says, and this is, again, this speaks to just how down his nose Lex looks at everybody, where he says, you know, that's a three-syllable word that every everybody says about big ideas that their minds are too small to understand, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I have met, like, we're talking brilliant people, you know? I knew somebody who... Uh, when he was in high school, he basically put together his school's tardy program, like programmed it line by line by line. And we're talking about this huge, thick binder of code. And he programmed that. I don't want to say there is an engineering aspect to it. And when I say he did it off the top of his head, I mean, I I don't mean to say he spat out all of those lines of code just in like five minutes. It it actually happened over the process. Probably I would say over the course of like um, two months or something like that. But this is a guy who's so fucking brilliant that the NSA would not take no for an answer when they came calling. You know, they said, basically, here's a check. Just write whatever amount on there you want. That's how fucking smart this guy is. I know someone else who went to work for the FBI, and he has his own little skill set. I'll I'll spare you. But basically, you know, the FBI said that, you know, your country needs you. And, um, you know, he, he went in for the interview and there's a certain, there's a certain way that the FBI, they do interviews, you know, for potential candidates and recruits and whatnot. And this was somebody that, you know, they earmarked early on, we cannot let this person go. And every single brilliant person I know, they may be nice, affable, friendly people. They know that they're on a different level than most other people. And they tend not to be dicks about it. But the ones that are aware of it and they see no reason to sugarcoat the truth might just tell you that their ideas are so far beyond you. The only way you can process it is it's crazy. And 
I, all of this is a really long way of saying Lex saying that to Lois. I mean, Lois is, is great. Don't get me wrong. She's smart. She's capable. She's the best that the daily, literally the best that the daily planet has to offer. She is just not punching on Lex's level. Let's just be real, you know? And I like that, you know, I like that, that ego, you know, the ego of it all. I like the superiority. I mean, this, I mean, how anyone can watch this and not see Lex Luthor is friggin' beyond me. Mm -hmm. There's, there's a, a certain feeling that comes with being the smartest man in the room. When, when you realize you're the smartest man in the room or woman, the smartest person in the room. Um, there's a certain condescension that comes along with that. Yes. And how you handle that depends on what kind of person you are. Yes. But there's a certain condescension that comes along with that. Now, every now and then, a lot of people find themselves to be the smartest person in the room. And they have to deal with that. And a lot of us just kind of think of that as work. You go to work and they're just all the assholes and 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 and, and idiots at work. Yes. Um, but for some people, that, that's a legit phenomenon that happens a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And I get the feeling that Lex Luthor feels like that has been every moment of his waking life. He has always been the smartest person in the room. And at some point he realized that when he was a kid, when he was in school. He, he knew that stuff was coming to him. He knew, he figured out he was clever and so much more than the rest of people around him. I don't know. But now he's gotten to a point where he's just used to being the clever guy. He's used to having ideas that are bigger than anyone else's. And he, at some point, has lost the moral compass that goes along with that or or – is oblivious to the fact that he's off of the moral compass because his ideas have always been better. And so it's, we can, we can take it, we can take an experience that we've all had, or at least, you know, many of us have had to some small degree and just imagine feeling that way every single day of your life. <sighs> yeah. And it is true. I think most people do get that feeling sometimes that, yeah, I am the smartest guy in the room. And and I don't mean that from a sense of pretense. I mean, no, it really is true. You really are the smartest the smartest guy in there because everyone else in there is a knuckle-dragging fucking nitwit. But at, or at least you feel that way. Even whether it's true or not, you feel like you are the smartest person in the room, you know? Well, I think it, it, that It happens that with me and what? Math teachers. I, I, I get around some math teachers at training and stuff, and I realize that I might know more about math than a lot of the other math teachers do. Mm -hmm. So um, I just had to be patient. But anyway, let me cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, well, the, well, the other thing to remember is that you you need like three or four or five different skills to do what you do. And so if someone is um, if someone is just truly that, that uh, far beneath you, then on um, – I guess I, I guess in terms of they may understand math, but do they understand how to teach? But yeah, people who are just that brilliant, I mean, yeah, I can totally see where there could easily come a point, especially like you say, if depending on you know whether or not they're the right person or, or the they right may actually person, look yeah. down their nose at everybody, you know. 
So hopefully that. Um, but then we get to uh, more of their uh, more of Superman and Batman fighting, and it's probably going to be something we see several times. But there are a couple of shots in this trailer. Yes, that are a bit sepia toned. Mm-hmm. And it never occurred to me when I was watching it, but people have been saying that there's some sort of dream that Batman might have. And there are two elements in this trailer that might or might not be a part of that dream. One of them I think could be one of them. I wonder about, right. but um, Superman landing in a tunnel, people in military garb with weapons bowing down to him Mm-hmm. And Batman trussed up. Superman pulls off his mask, grimaces at it, and looks like he's about to, you know, eat Bruce's face. Yeah. And evidently there is a track in the um, soundtrack, which I have not seen a track listing for. Um, but evidently there's a track called Nightmare with a K. Mm-hmm. And so they're wondering if that could be part of Batman's dream. And the other scene, and then we'll talk about how much we think that these are or not is um, evidently parademons flying through and scooping people up. Yeah. Um, look, stuff so what like are your the, thoughts on those? Uh, I, well, as far as the parademons thing is concerned, I mean, it really is a little shady, I guess. We don't really know just what the hell we're looking at, especially since we don't really get all that good a look at them. Mm-hmm. But the sepia tone scenes, I could picture those being a dream of some kind uh there's a moment during one of the parademon moments for lack of a better word there's this blink and you miss it shot of a batman grappling with a soldier and instead of a uh, united states flag patch on his on his shoulder he's got a superman symbol on his shoulder and who's to say i mean maybe maybe the united states military in this film is going to is going to replace the United States flag with the Superman symbol. I just find that a little hard to believe. But mm-hmm. as to the this whole nightmare thing, what I thought was that somebody uh, took a picture at some kind of a toy expo or something like that of an action figure that was called Nightmare Batman and Nightmare begins with K. And, uh, okay. Uh, maybe that's I, I don't know. I I hadn't heard anything about a soundtrack, but uh, you know that nightmare thing. It actually did ring a bell. I just I could have sworn. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I could have sworn it was in reference to a toy. That so, could be it. That could be it. So, but I I don't know. I mean, it would be kind of neat if this if these were parademons because of what that implies about apocalypse. But I almost feel like apocalypse and dark side and all that fourth world stuff. That is not. First off, that's a lot bigger than this movie needs to be. And second, I think that's even bigger than the, than the first Justice League movie needs to be. But that's, I don't know, it's all speculative. It's, it, there's really so little evidence either way at the time you and I record this. It's really hard to know for sure. Right. They're, they're teasing something. I also think that showing parademons in this trailer would be spoiling a bit too much of your hand. Because the big reveal of this trailer, there are two really good big reveals in this trailer, and neither one of them has anything to do with Darkseid. Yes. And one of those, we're skipping, up, uh, we're skipping past some, some other footage, basically, that leads up to the unveiling of what looks to be Doomsday. Mm-hmm. And 
Speaking of hypocrisy, I posted <laughs> this on the Trennis Magnus Punches Reality Facebook page. I remember the reaction people had to Dark Side and Smallville. You know, and it was basically, I think for the most part, the effect was achieved by a guy, a really huge guy, like bodybuilder looking dude, wearing a suit. And it had, you know, Doomsday's skin. It had those, uh, that sort of partial exoskeleton and the spiky fuckers on him and all that stuff. And there were a lot of people who criticized, picked apart, made fun of that, that depiction of Doomsday. And I swear to think those same fucking people now are pointing back to that and saying, okay, Batman v Superman and and Zack Snyder and all you assholes. Smallville is the way that you need to do Doomsday. And again, I mean, it's just the fucking hypocrisy here is piling up so fast. You need wings to stay above it. I mean, like a parademon, a lot like a parademon. <laughs> and you know what? It's like the objection that people have had to this is as much as anything. It's like Doomsday's appearance, and they keep up comparing them to the Abomination. And I guess my answer to that is, you know, if you're going to have a giant creature running around, he's colored gray and he's got spikes coming out of his body. There are only so many ways to skin that cat. And I'm sorry, you know, if this somewhat resembles the abomination, you know, I'm sorry you can't look past that. I think that's really your fault. I'm a DC guy. And so the first thing that I'm going to that I'm always going to think of whenever I see, I guess this sort of archetype is always, always, always going to be doomsday. And if someone else is incapable of doing that, then you know what, dude, shut the fuck up and just don't see the movie. All right. Cause I'm really sick and tired of the negativity. You know, I'm sorry if that bothers anybody. That's just the way I feel about it at this point. And this doomsday looks a lot more like doomsday in the comics than the abomination and the Hulk looked like the abomination in the comics. Just, just going to say that too. Um, Cause the abomination in the comics has like, the fish things on his head and stuff. And none of that showed up in the movie. Um, Have you heard of the comparisons between this doomsday's appearance and wrath wraith wraith from the Lee Snyder, Superman unchained series? Not really. No. Okay. So 2013 Superman 75th anniversary, there were two new comic series launched. Yes. One was Superman Wonder Woman, which had Charles Soule writing um, and uh, Tony Daniel doing the art. Beautiful, beautiful, amazing book. Great stuff. Um, Another one was Superman Unchained, which was Jim Lee art on Scott Snyder's scripts. Because Scott Snyder was the big Batman writer superstar, so let's have him write Superman. Um, Very, very highly anticipated book. It had delays out its ass, <laughs> and I think it took two years to put out nine issues. Um, but the big antagonist in that story was a character who had fallen to Earth 75 years ago and had been kept under wraps by the government, including General Lane, um, whose name was Wraith. Okay. And there are some some passing resemblances between his look and the doomsday look in the in the in the trailer, not because of bone protrusions at all, mm-hmm. but just because like you said earlier they're both bruisers and 
Um, one thing that this Doomsday-ish character has in this trailer that Doomsday did not have in the comics is a sort of full facial heat vision, which Wraith had in the comics, because that's kind of how heat vision is done now is sort of a full, you know, a, a blast in your eyes. It's so big. It's like it's coming from your entire face. Hmm. Um, anyways, so, so might this actually be Wraith rather than Doomsday? That's what a lot of people are saying. But here's my thoughts on it. Wraith first hit comics in the summer of 2013 mm-hmm. when this movie was had to be already in development. Yes. Because July of 2013, after Man of Steel's release, is when they made the big announcement what the film was going to be. So surely they're already working on a script or have a script pretty well far along two years ago. Um. So this 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 character first hit comics whenever the movie was already in development and the story that reveals, you know, everything about the character and the story that they're doing with him um, didn't finish being published until a few months ago, like six to 12 months ago. So by then, the principal photography for this one was already done. Yeah. So I don't find it very likely that um, that this would be Wraith. Also, this is apparently either a cloning, an imperfect clone of Zod, like a bizarro type of Zod, mm-hmm. although I hesitate to use that word, or an actual reanimated Zod of some kind with some sort of evil Luthor science mixed in for it. Mm-hmm. So it's some sort of you know take on Kryptonian stuff, which definitely plays a lot more into the Doomsday idea. And not at all into the Wraith idea. Anyways, so I, I I don't think that it's Wraith for for those reasons. And he he has the bone protrusions. They're not huge, but neither were Doomsday's in his first appearance. So yeah, I think it's Doomsday. Okay, fair enough. Well, and that was actually something that had been rumored for quite a while. That at least as far as the narrative of the movie is concerned. Basically, Evidently, there's some really brief shot in an earlier trailer that had a bone protrusion shoulder in the corner or something like that. Yeah. People were saying that might be doomsday. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was going to I was going to mention that. And, you know, basically the the big theory goes that. Batman is basically in the film to keep Superman busy for the first half of it. And then the second half of it is going to be. Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman versus Doomsday. And that was the big rumor that was making the rounds for a while there. And it looks like, you know what, there may be something to that. There are other rumors out there that are unknown and unknowable based on this trailer that I'm not going to comment upon because of the fact that they're unknown and unknowable. So, But they are out there. And if you can figure that this character is Doomsday, you may be able to guess what some of those rumors might be. In terms of like how this movie ends. So end of the day, I don't know. But what I can say for sure is that this sort of leads into this moment uh, of introducing Doomsday, which is big enough all by itself, is also Wonder Woman's introduction as well. That it shows a, uh, a, a shot of Doomsday, for lack of a better word, flaring up his heat vision firing it off, and then it intercuts a shot of Wonder Woman blocking something or other mm-hmm. with her shield, and those may be contiguous scenes with one another, or they may not. 
But either there's, way, there's some, there's some clever editing with the trailer because that's what you do for trailers. Exactly that. And then we get another little. This isn't comedy as such, but it is a neat little humorous beat where Superman looks over at Batman and says, "Hey, she with you." And then Batman looks back and says, hey, I thought she was with you. And again, for a movie that or series, really, that's so derided for being dark and joyless. I mean, we've had, I think, two and a half kind of funny moments here, you know, kind of comedic moments. Humorous moments, at least. And. Two of them revolve or one and a half of them revolved around the villain of the story. And then this one revolves around the two headliners of the story. These guys' names are in the fucking title of the thing. And I'm not going to sit here and say that this is going to be a fun, lighthearted type of romp, but this idea that it's nothing but unrelenting bleakness, I just, I don't see it, you know? I really don't. I like that Wonder Woman, apparently, like I said, this is all just from the trailer, apparently kind of comes out of nowhere in the storyline. Because if you think about it, if you're at a scene with bad stuff going down and the superhero shows up to help save the day for your narrative, the superhero came out of nowhere. Mm. And, and I like that Superman and Batman are sitting there doing their thing. And the superhero that's going to help save the day comes out of nowhere and helps save the day. Um, I like that dynamic and we're going to see wonder woman. We're going to get a chance to get excited about her and then we're going to go see her movie. Um, I also like that Batman is pissed at Superman, hates Superman, whatever. Is trying to take Superman down, and apparently, and you know, according to the trailer cut, Doomsday is going to be the trigger event that gets them to work together, because Batman can't stop this guy, and he's going to need Superman's help to do it. And that's going to be the motivating point to get him to trust Superman. It's a bit of an old story trope and storytelling device to do, but it's what we were all expecting that Batman and Superman would fight until there would be a larger threat that would bring them together to work together to stop the threat and save the day. Yeah. And that's a ton of superhero team up stories. Like you say. Yeah. That, that's, um, that's, that's what we've all been expecting. The fact that it's doomsday is just something more than we, we maybe thought was going to happen. And as far as the thing you weren't going to say earlier, I really hope it doesn't happen. Yeah. I hope it doesn't happen because I want to see a Superman Justice League movie. And I suspect we will, but I, look, I have no idea, to be honest with you. I have no clue there. But the, I guess one of the, – the trailer really starts winding down with this sort of glory shot of, of – uh, it's got Superman on one side, Batman on the other. Wonder Woman in the center, and they're both basically gearing up for battle, presumably against Doomsday or whatever this creature is. And when I first watched this trailer, literally, this is the first thought I had when I when I saw this moment in the trailer for the first time. We've got, for the first time in live action, Superman standing shoulder to shoulder with Wonder Woman, standing shoulder to shoulder with Batman. This has never happened before, ever. Ever. So let's throw a fucking little temper tantrum about it, you know? <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I saw people shit talking this this trailer all over Facebook. I saw and guys, it's Superman, Wonder Woman and Batman. It's in live a movie. Action. Yeah. And in it's, March, it's happening in fucking March. We're going to get to see this in the movie. Yeah. And look, Wonder Woman, whatever. But Superman and Batman, I've wanted to see those guys team up together in a movie 
I dare not exaggerate in saying since I was eight years old, you know, at the time I record this guys, I'm 30 fucking five. Okay. And I mean, I'm not getting any younger. All right. And it's, it's, it's taken the majority of my life just to get to this point and people are going to bitch about it. I mean, guys, we don't have very many years. Just as people, we don't have very many years left. All right. This is not the time to put the brakes on anything. I throw it all out there, you know, and this is something that I've dreamed about ever since I was a kid. And the thing is, it's only gotten more and more intense because they keep we, I keep reading stories where Superman and Batman team up with each other or else interact with each other in comics. And I thought, oh, my God, this would what if they did this for a movie, but then they could kind of twist it in their own way and go in another direction. Oh, this would be fucking amazing. And then the next day I think of something else, and then that's going to be fucking amazing. And then I have another idea. And I mean, guys, it's finally fucking happening. Cheer up. You know? Cheer up. You've got the mic. <laughs> um, I agree. I'm very excited. There are a couple of points I wanted to address, and I, I, I probably will have said my piece by then. Um, I was a bit surprised to see this reaction, but I did see some negative reaction to the Wonder Woman joke line of, is she with you? I thought she was with you. Mm-hmm. Because um, the person I saw this reaction from felt like, Okay, so this badass female hero shows up, and the first thing the men are going to argue about is which one of them owns her. Jeez. Oh, as far as as far as you know, the female belonging to the, to the male, mm. and I, I I would not want to see that kind of approach in a script to to them, you know. But I don't think that's what we saw. Um, that's the entire point. They she doesn't belong to either of them. That's the point. She's yeah. Here. And she shows up, Superman's surprised, so he wants to – do you know who this person is? And Batman doesn't know, but since she's a super and Batman's a super, Batman thinks that maybe she's with him. Uh, not with like she's mine, but with like you know her and he she's associated with you. And 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 so I, I felt like that was a bit of an overreaction. But one, 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 one separate element that I kind of just thought of is – the level of involvement that Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman have in this film kind of mirrors how each of them figures into the quote-unquote trinity of DC Comics. Mm-hmm. Because to my mind, and I'm a little bit biased here because I'm a Superman fan, to my mind, Superman is the frontrunner of DC Comics. Hallelujah. He is, you know, he's the lead, the the... A list the the A character of the A list is Superman, mm-hmm. and Batman is a second runner up. And in this film, Batman is the co-featured character. He's the second feature character in the Superman film. And then, as a part of DC history, Wonder Woman is one of the few characters who never lost publication during the fifties. She's always been there. She's had her own title since the early 40s, and it's never gone away, except for brief periods of planned cancellation and revival uh, with a new number one or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet her importance to the DC multiverse or DC uh, universe as a whole is quite a bit less than Superman and Batman, because even though she's always been in publication – 
she's always been kind of a second stringer compared to those two. So her involvement in this film is, yes, she's going to help save the day, but she also is a lot subsumed to the importance of Batman and Superman to the narrative. And this is not at all a comment on a commentary on her gender, just as her role in DC. So I, I kind of see a parallel there that maybe I'm making up and pulling out of my ass, but it seemed interesting to me. I'll ride with it. Sure. I mean, I'm, I would never claim to be a wonder woman expert by any stretch. So uh, if you say so, that's, that's really good enough for me. <laughs> Look, as I say, I mean, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, but I mean, I see so much more to be excited about than I do to be leery of. I mean, Look, going into Man of Steel, I would have been on pins and needles if I even gave a shit. But I was coming at Man of Steel from, shall we say, a lot of hard feelings left over from Superman Returns. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, call it finding your joy. But what I come to understand is that I had so many decades of comics to enjoy. So many seasons of Lois and Clark. So many seasons of Smallville. Uh, two seasons of Adventures of Superman. I mean, the list just fucking it, it goes on and on. That I was at a place where I didn't I didn't feel like I needed Man of Steel, whereas I did need Superman Returns, and I needed it to be good, and it wasn't. And I guess that detachment maybe is what inoculated me uh, from a lot of cynicism and pessimism that people had about Man of Steel. Which, from all outward appearances, is going strong. And let, let, let's just take Wonder Woman, all right? Let's just take that just as a random choice in this trailer to talk about. What we have is a live-action Wonder Woman, which should I shouldn't have to say anything more than that. But we have a live-action Wonder Woman who's in her full DC Comics type of outfit. She's got mm -hmm. a sword. She's got a shield. It doesn't look like anything about this character has been watered down or changed to fit some dumb shit's cinematic view of what of what his art house movie that cost hundreds of millions of dollars to produce needs to be. You know, there's nothing that's being compromised here, and it looks like it just it it looks like Wonder Woman could end up becoming the breakout character of this movie. As a result of our commentary on Man of Steel, mm -hmm. I realized that Man of Steel is my favorite work of Superman literature. Wow, that's pretty high praise. As a film, there are technical issues with it. There are things about its pacing and some other stuff that I would change and argue with. But as a story, as a script and a story about Superman, it is my favorite work of Superman literature. And I'm getting a second one. And I'm excited. And it has Batman in it, and we've been wanting that for years. We've seen Batman Superman co logos on fake billboards in movies for years. Mm -hmm. Um, and Wonder Woman's going to be in it too. And after all of the all of the stop starts and aborted concepts and everything else that have come along about Wonder Woman in the past five or ten years, the fact that it's actually happening, and yes, they have a warrior princess woman on stage ready to go with a sword and a shield like she is in the comics right now better than she is in the comics right now because this woman has you know um leather strap skirt going on and not just a a, a bikini way uh, a bottom going on mm -hmm. that that's 
I'm excited. And from the time that they cast Gal Gadot to now, I have just been anticipating, 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 and it looks like it's going to be fantastic. Agreed. Um, you know, I, I'm glad we did this trailer um, uh, breakdown because I think this gave us a lot of chance to voice our where we are about this movie before it comes out. And we don't have to spend a lot of time talking about these feelings when we're looking at the movie. Agreed. Because um, because uh, I think a lot of a lot of our chance to sort of react to the to the uh, perceptions of these things we're going to come out in the movie and now we can focus on the movie when the movie hits. Well, do you have any, uh, any other parting shots for the trailer? Anything else that uh, we haven't covered that you, that you want to mention? There's probably going to be one more big trailer at this point though. I'm feeling kind of trailered up. So I don't know if I'll be watching any other trailers that come down the line. I'm already, I mean, we're on 12 days before star Wars officially premieres. Mm-hmm. And I'm not watching any of the TV spots. Uh, if there's another big trailer that comes down the pike, I won't be watching it because the last one filled me up. I'm 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 ready for the movie. I'm done. I, I want to watch it. I don't want any more footage spilled. I'm kind of feeling that way. Even though we still have you and I still have three months before this movie comes out, um, I don't feel like I want to see any more footage. I I just want to see the movie. Yeah, you know? fair enough. I get that way at some point before most films. I get to where I've seen enough. I'm excited. I'm stoked. Don't show me anymore. I just want the movie to get here now. <laughs> no, I understand. And that's uh, totally logical. I just, I at least wanted to give you, uh, give you the opportunity here. So, Oh yeah. And I appreciate it. this is, this is great to, to just kind of say where we are with, with the film and, and, and say where we are with this trailer. It's, 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 it's been a fun conversation. Thank you for having me. All right, no problem. Now, before we say our goodbyes, um, why don't you tell everybody where it is that they can find you? Well, um, I realize that that timing is always a little bit weird with with, uh, recording versus what's actually happening when the episode comes out. But um, as we're recording, it's been a bit of a gap since my last episode of Avengers Inspirations came out. And I have actually been regularly sitting back down with edits on that and getting those episodes out again. So Avengers Inspirations... um, uh, 37 is the latest episode out that whenever we're recording 38 is going to hit in a day or two. Uh, the edits on that are done and hopefully we'll be getting, uh, close to close to 50 whenever I don't, you don't know when this is going to go out. So I'm kind of, you know, wishy-washy my talking here. So, um, episode 50 is going to be, um, the big celebration of Avengers age of Ultron. And we'll also be talking about the second Avengers issue as well. Um, as we march forward in, um, the the comics that have to do with the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe characters. We have Daredevil commentaries coming soon. We have Jessica Jones commentaries coming soon. Oh, yeah. We're going to be getting into the third season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as we talk about um, Silver Age comics featuring all of the characters. Iron Man, um, Thor, Captain America is about to hit soon. I'm excited about that. So, yeah. It's a good place to be. Avengers Inspirations. My daughter and I talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the comics that feature those characters. Awesome. Well, once again, thank you very much for joining me this uh, this conversation. Hope I didn't alienate you, but I I, I guess I didn't ha- I, I I didn't realize I had such a large number of rants inside of me. But <laughs> here we are. So it's how things have played out. But uh, either way, thank you again for, for joining in. Now, normally this is just about the time that I tell you guys what's what's on tap for next week. But unfortunately, I don't actually know. And the reason for that is because I'm not actually sure 
like John says, when I'm going to be releasing this, but whatever it is that's coming next week, I'm sure it's going to be awesome because it's me and I do awesome weekly. So And I'll probably be here too. So Yeah, there's actually a really good chance of that because I'm thinking this may actually be best released somehow in tandem with one of the other episodes, but as a separate special sort of unto itself, but I don't know. I've got time to figure it out, but um, either way, thanks again, John, for joining me. Thank you for listening, and bye, everybody. I will see you next week. Okay, I'm going to do the promo now. Really? Finally. Okay, let's do the promo. What do you mean, let's do the promo? I'm the one who has to do it. Well, get on with it then. Okay, okay, here we go. Iron Man. The Incredible Hulk. The Mighty Thor. The Captain America. Wow. Being dramatic there, aren't we? Do, do you think it's too much? Should I back off? No, 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 you're fine. You, you're good. Okay. 
you've seen the Earth's mightiest heroes in the Avengers franchise of films. Now you can enjoy the stories that have inspired those films through the magic of comic podcasting. Magic of podcasting? You sure about that one? Well, yeah, because, you know, we're awesome. Like, magic. Only without actually seeing any magical things. Just go with it, go with it, go with it. Okay. Don't forget to tell them what we're actually doing on the show. Oh, oh yeah, okay. So join Lily Wilson, the awesomest teenage comics fan in the world, Mm -hmm. as her father takes her through all the early comics that feature characters from the Avengers franchise of films. And some that aren't in those films yet, but will be. Because we started with Ant-Man before we had a whole film. Oh, well, yeah. And don't forget Spider-Man. He's not looking at Avenger, but he's there. Oh, okay. So um, maybe it should be that feature characters that have been, are currently, or will one day be in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Better. And where should they go not see this magical podcasty goodness? New episodes can be found. <coughs> do I have to do the voice? Yes, you do. Okay, okay. New episodes can be found at the Complete Marvel Reading Order website, cmro.travis-starns.com, and clicking under the Podcasts tab. Or on iTunes by searching Complete Marvel Reading Order, or just search for the name of the show itself. Um, Dad? Don't you think we should actually say the name of our show? Oh. Yeah! Avengers! Inspirations! Podcast! Listen and stuff. Yeah, good job, Dad. Thank you! We all remember seeing years ago those futuristic drawings saying what the future's going to be. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing. Gleaming buildings, fast monorails. This is the future. It was all started by a monster. Twice the size of Manhattan. We want you to share with us our latest and greatest dream. Walt Disney World. Better than any other urban environment in America. Two True Freaks proudly presents... We hope that it will be unlike anything else on this earth. Golf courses, campgrounds, stores, hotels... Earning My Ears. A once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for everyone who participates. We're ready to go right now. Earning My Ears, a Walt Disney World-centric podcast, is available monthly at twotruefreaks.com. Joe against Cobra and Destro fighting to save the day. He never gives up. He's always there fighting for freedom over land and air. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe is there. Attention, Joes. This is General Hawk. I have an important mission for you. I need you to listen to G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. It's a monthly podcast where Aaron Moss, codename Head, and two other Joes, Ryan Daly and Kyle Benning, will be reporting on the comic book G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero. Previously published by Marvel, currently being published by IDW Comics. We'll also cover the special missions, the yearbooks, order battles, etc. To hear their message, report to gijoe.headspeaks.com or iTunes or Stitcher Radio. You can get further information at Facebook, Google+, and Twitter.
all under G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. Dismissed. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, is a proud member of the headcast family. The world never gives up. He'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at Trentus Magnus at gmail.com Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday and that's a promise Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows That's right Simply click the PayPal link donate any amount at all Tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play, Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental, and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Do not remove this tag under penalty of law. All models are over the age of 18. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with DeMonzacore of Milan, Italy.